Well, the series 2020, it's about seeing reality as it really is. And we started with the premise that being a finite creature, I can't always see reality as it really is. I'm, I'm kind of bound by my senses. I'm bound by time. And so to see reality as it really is and to adjust to reality as it is, I really need an infinite being. I need the creator himself to show me what is true, what is real, so that I can see life as it actually is and adjust to it appropriately. Now, we, we have a reality that just recently struck um, our worship team, our singers up here. Uh, we, we just lost, in this month of January, uh, four of our singers. One family alone, a mother and two daughters that were, you know, some of our most wonderful singers, they moved to Myrtle Beach, which you can't blame them for moving to Myrtle Beach if you can. And then this lady that we just saw up here, Brooke, uh, with the guitar, she's taken a position, uh, which we're thrilled for that, at another local church, uh, a paying staff position. And so the reality for us, and I say this to you because you may have been sitting there all this time and you have been given by God a real singing ability. You see, I know this has nothing to do with me because I have not been given a singing ability. <laughs> But we have a rare opportunity, four singers gone all at once in one month. And so if you have been sitting there and thinking, uh, they have everybody they need, and you have a God-given singing ability, we would very, very much like to have you audition, be you male or female. We would love to have either. Okay, now having said all that, it has nothing to do with the message. <laughs> but it is important. Or <laughs> it's me up here some Sunday leading the singing. <laughs> Yeah, he said amen until he hears it. <laughs> uh, so we started a series by saying that we need some clarity about things, about reality. And we started with clarifying our past, who I was. Today we're going to look at clarifying my present, who I am. It's really, really hard to get a good, clear picture of who we are. So to get us started on this message today, I want to uh, share a tract with you, a a little clip from, with you from the movie, The Born Identity. Just curious, how many saw the very first one? Jason Bourne's first. Okay, here we go. I'm not making this up. These are real. Okay. Who has a safety deposit box full of... Money and six passports and a gun. Who has a bank account number in their hip? I come in here, and the first thing I'm doing is I'm catching the sight lines and looking for an exit. I see the exit sign, too. I'm not worried. I mean, you were shot. People do all kinds of weird and amazing stuff when they're scared. I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? What a powerful scene. Why would he know those things and yet not know who he is? I have another why. 
why would you be playing an adult when you look like you're 14? <laughs> anyway, that's different. But that set of whys with the confusion of knowing who we are. Uh, think about ourselves. Every human being you'll ever meet is capable of imagining a much better life, not just for themselves, but for everyone else on the world. Every human being, all of us, we are capable of imagining and desiring a world where sickness, sorrow, pain, and death do not exist, where crime doesn't exist, where war doesn't exist, prejudice, hatred, disease doesn't exist, accidents don't exist, death itself doesn't exist. And if we were brutally honest, if we could blink our eyes and produce that world, we all know we would do it in an instant. Why? Why do we have these desires? Why do we have this capacity to imagine something, to want something that human history has proven we as a species are incapable of bringing to pass? And why is it that we can hear a beautiful piece of music or hear a story or or? a tale of some virtuous, kind, unselfish thing that someone has done, and it will instantly bring us to tears. It doesn't do that with our dogs, but you can hear the right song, and it'll bring you to tears. Why? Why can you see a beautiful sunset or a beautiful ocean view, and it can just move you in such deep ways? Why at the same time, though, are we all so so fragile that we can quickly do things that are completely inconsistent with bringing about that world, that life that we desire, that world of peace and happiness and joy, no heartbreak, no loneliness, no, nobody unloved, nobody left out, everybody's safe. All the, why is it that we are capable of doing things so inconsistent with that? We're capable of doing selfish things. We're capable of doing petty things. We're capable of doing hurtful things. Who are we? What kind of beings are we that we have this collision of beautiful longings and desires and capacities to envision life and want it for others and ourselves? And at the same time, we have this inconsistent side of ourselves that can make it virtually impossible for ourselves or anyone else to experience that life that we would want. Well, there's a portion of Scripture in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writing to Christ followers living in the city of Ephesus, that, that gives us some notion of where some of these desires come from that we know nothing in the present world can fulfill. You may have forgotten them. You may have squelched them. But you have desires that nothing in this present world can adequately fulfill. So where, where, do, where do they come from? Who am I? Why do I have this conflict inside myself? When the book of Ephesians, uh, it's going to be there, it says this, chapter 1, verse 4. It says, even before he, meaning the Lord Jesus, he made the world, God loved us. Now, let, now notice the context. Before before he made the world, before God spoke the universe into existence, before Jesus spoke the universe into existence, he loved us. We were just a part of God's mind. We were a part of his 
pre-planning. He saw you. He knew you. He knew me. He saw us, and he loved us, and therefore he gave us the very greatest gift that he could give us. He made us in his own image. We are beings that have the capacity to experience life like God himself does. We are relational beings. We are thinking beings. We are beings that have free will. We can make choices. We can be attracted or unattracted. We can accept something or we can reject something. And God in his love, before anything existed, he determined he would make beings like this. All this is packed into this. Before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now this chose us, it's in Christ. God looked down through the tunnel of time and he saw that some of us, given the opportunity, would be attracted to God as he reveals himself in Christ. We would draw near to him, we would put trust in him, we would become his followers for life and eternity. He saw that and he said, all those that will be drawn to me as I reveal myself in Christ, I will see them forever as faultless in my sight. And they will dwell with me. He goes on to say more. God decided when? In advance. This is before anything was created. In advance. We're still talking eternity past. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own what? You were meant. You have these desires inside you that nothing in this world can satisfy because you were meant always to be literally the royal family of the creator of the universe. And he always intended that we would experience this, but it was going to be based on free will. Look at this adoption process. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. How? How? How is he going to adopt us? By bringing us to himself through, what does it say? What does that mean? Bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. It means that God was going to reveal himself in all of his fullness comprehensively in Jesus Christ in the hope that some of us would be attracted to him. And we would put our trust in him and we would follow him fully, freely, and forever because we were truly attracted to him. God saw that some would and that's what's meant in all this process of adoption. It's adopted. We become a part of God's family now when we put our trust in Christ and become his followers. But that was planned. That's your destiny. That was always your destiny as a human being. That's every human being's destiny. But some of us as human beings will reject our destiny. It goes on to say this, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, what kind of blessing? Spiritual, spiritual blessing. What is a spiritual blessing? Spiritual blessings are things that are inward. They're internal experiences. It's peace, it's love, it's joy, it's worry-free existence. I could go on and on and on. That's what it means, spiritual blessing. We were destined for that kind of an in, inner life, not the kind that we experience now, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing, but where are we to experience these spiritual blessings? In the what? Heavenly realms. Heavenly realms. We're talking about other dimensional realms or at least other parts of the universe maybe far, far away in the heavenly realms because, because we are what? United, United with Christ. You see, you can't experience every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms unless you're united to Christ. We were always meant to be united to Christ. It says elsewhere in Scripture, Colossians 1.16, we were made by Christ and for Christ and apart from him, life doesn't coalesce. It doesn't cohere. It doesn't work out. 
So here's what's true about you and I as human beings. We have this, this heavenly destiny. This, we were destined for a beautiful, eternal existence. The stuff that we think of and we accept as normal now is frankly abnormal. It's normal now, but it's abnormal based on God's eternal plan. So if I want to ask myself the question, who am I? This gives me a hint to why I have these desires and these longings that nothing in this world can, can supply. But it also gives a hint at why I have these parts of myself that are so inconsistent with this heavenly sort of a lifestyle. There are parts of me that, that obviously are not connected, not united with the will of Christ. And so that's the conflict that I experience. So if I ask the question, who am I? Who am I now? And it's really hard to see who we are today. There's two questions that we can ask ourselves. And if we're willing to answer these questions with brutal honesty, we can get a pretty clear picture of who we are today. And that's not an easy thing to get a clear picture of ourselves today as we are. So let's venture out and let's ask these questions. Question number one. If I want to know who I really am today, I have to answer honestly. Am I spiritually alienated or reconciled? Am I alienated from God or am I reconciled to God? Now, to understand what I'm talking about, reconciled to God, you've got to go way back to the, the first books of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 through 3. God creates man in his own image. Everything goes great. He puts us in this beautiful garden. Uh, God has given us a perfect relationship with himself, perfect relationship Adam and Eve had with one another. But then an angel, a very powerful, a very rebellious angel, comes and tempts Adam and Eve to break trust with God. He tells Adam and Eve that God has lied to them, that if they partake of this one tree that God forbid them to partake of, it wouldn't hurt them in the way that God said. God said, if you partake of it, you'll die. No, no, no. This being, Satan, he says, no, if you partake of it, you can become like God yourself. You, he's holding back from you. He, he wants to keep you down. He wants to keep you under control. He needs people falling at his feet and doing obeisance. He, he's not really loving and pure. He's a control addict. And they buy it and they break trust with God. So when we read in scripture about being reconciled to God, you must understand what was the original relationship that human beings had with the creator. Adam and Eve had an absolutely perfect trusting relationship with God prior to being deceived by Lucifer, by Satan. They trusted him completely. They loved him. He loved them. They knew that he adored them. They knew that they were significant in his eyes and they didn't have any doubts about their worth. They knew that they were secure. They were in a garden and in a world that he had created for them. They knew that every desire of their hearts was being satisfied. So they had the three key things that human beings seek, significant security and satisfaction satisfaction all this though was lost when all of a sudden they believed the lie that they couldn't trust their creator and they broke free from him and so now we start out life differently we don't see God face to face we don't hear his voice we don't live in a garden where everything is perfect we live in a really dark dangerous world and we can't see God we can't hear God and so we are in that place where God is now revealing himself to us in Christ in the hope that he can win back our confidence win back our trust 
and ultimately win back our affection and our love so that we can still experience that eternal destiny that we were really made for. Listen to a couple verses. This is Paul writing to followers of Christ living in the city of Colossae. He says to them, he's looking to their past, he says, once you were alienated, no trust, no relationship, you know, just complete gulf between them and God. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. I just want to ask you a question. I mean, I can remember so clearly in my own life, up until age 23, that was absolutely me. I didn't trust God. I had no relationship with God. I didn't want to think about him. I did not want to know his will. I did not want to do his will. I didn't really care about him one way or another. I was alienated and hostile. How many of you can remember that stage in your life? And I know some of you grew up in a Christian home and you became Christ followers as young children. So it might be harder for you. But I'm just curious, how many can remember that stage where you were alienated from God? You didn't, you didn't trust him. You didn't like him. You didn't care about his will. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. But now he has, what's the key word? Reconciled you. That's the restoration of that perfect trusting relationship that Adam and Eve had with God in the Garden of Eden before they broke trust with him. That's what being reconciled means. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death, it's talking about Christ, to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily where? In Christ. So when we see Christ, and particularly when we see Christ, his teachings, his miracles, his sacrificial death ultimately on the cross and then his powerful resurrection. We see God revealing himself in, in perfect form in all of his fullness, reducing himself to vulnerability to show that his love for us is completely unselfish. He desires only our highest good. And he says, now that you know me completely from the cross and you know that I love you, I love you literally to death, do you want me? Do you trust me? Will you return to me? Do you want to be like me? Because the world to come, it's necessary that every being, whether it's angel or human, is Christ-like in character for such a world where there's no more sin, sorrow, pain, or death to exist. So let's look at just another one. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 20, Paul says to the followers of Christ in Corinth, he says, so, so we're ambassadors. Now, we know what an ambassador is. An ambassador represents another country in, in a different place and setting. So we are ambassadors, meaning we who have trusted in Christ, we're reconciled to him, who represent Christ. God is negotiating with you through who? Through us. God's not going to do any negotiating with people unless it's through you and I. He's not going to be trying to speak to people, draw people to himself, except you and I open our mouths and, and make known his goodness in our own lives. God is negotiating with you through us. We beg you, as Christ's representatives, do what? Be reconciled to God. Am I alienated from God, going my own way, doing my own thing, living my own life? Maybe I have some kind of belief that God exists, but it's not making any significant difference in my life, and I'm not really interested in his will, his ways. 
Am I alienated from God or am I reconciled to God? I trust him. I want his will. I like him. I want to be like him. That's what it means to be reconciled to God. God is pleading with people to be reconciled. He, he wants to bring his ultimate eternal destiny into our lives. He wants to bring goodness into our lives now, but he can't unless we return to him in trust and get serious about learning his way, his will, his word so that we can start to experience the life he wants us to have. Let's look at another. In 1 Peter 2.25, it says, You were like sheep that had lost their way, but now you have been brought back to follow, notice it's follow, the shepherd and the keeper of your souls. When we're reconciled to God, we become followers of Christ. A Christian is a follower of Christ. If a person is not following Christ, they are not a Christian. You say, but Randy, Randy, Randy. I prayed that prayer one time. I, I said, I want to go to heaven. I, I believe Jesus died for my sins, and I prayed for him to come into my heart. That's all that's necessary to go to heaven and to be a child of God. You can go ahead and believe that if you want, but you will not find support for that in Scripture, nor is it realistic. How can we be in a place that we don't even want to live like the way that place is. Those that say they want to go to heaven, but they don't want to live a heavenly life now, that doesn't make sense. It's inconsistent. A Christian, a real Christian is one that trusts Christ, and the evidence of that trust is they want to follow him. That's why I use that, that phraseology so often. We follow Jesus freely. I want to follow him. I, I follow him fully. Whatever he says do, I'm going to do. Whatever he says stop doing, I'm going to stop doing. And I'm going to follow him forever because he is the eternal one that's what it means to be a christian you were like sheep that had lost their way but now you have been brought back to follow the shepherd and keep up your souls question number one about who am i am i a human being that is still alienated from god really truly all things considered or am i a human being that has truly been reconciled to god I hope I've made that sufficiently clear to you. Now, if you have been reconciled to God, there's a much broader picture of truth about yourself and who you are that would be very beneficial for you and I to remind ourselves of regularly. In fact, we, we created this little, little uh, book, book uh, marker for you. Uh, I'm going to show you some verses, and this little bookmarker, if you want to get it, you can get it on your way out. It has these verses on there, but it might be something good for you to have. But here, if you've been reconciled to God, if you've put your trust in Christ and you are his follower, here's what God now says is your identity, present tense identity. First of all, you're accepted. God accepts you. He knows you're not perfect, but he accepts you. He accepts me as we are. He doesn't leave us as we are. He wouldn't be good if he did that but he accepts us as we are. We're already, Philippians 3.20, a citizen of heaven. We already belong. We're already a part of Ephesians 2.19, God's household. You know, in, in your own house, you go around the way you want. You go in the refrigerator, you open it up. It's saying we're, we're part of God's immediate family. He calls us his dear children in Ephesians 5.2. Dear, we're dear to him, we're precious to him. He calls us in 1 Peter 5.2 his flock. We, he's the shepherd and we are his sheep. We belong to him. We're called in Romans 8.17 heirs of God. He has an inheritance that he is waiting to give us. It is that eternal inheritance that we were always destined for. Let's go on. 
First Peter 2, 9, it says, we're God's chosen people. We're the people that he wants to express himself to the rest of the world to or, or through. In Colossians 1, 24, it says that now we're the very body of Christ. Jesus had to give up his body on the cross to show us his trustworthiness and love. Now he wants us to be his hands and his feet and his mouth and his eyes and his heart. We're his body. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, we're the temple of the Spirit. The Spirit of God wants to indwell us and express the heart of God through us. We're the temple of the living God. That's what we're called. Matthew 5.13, Jesus said of his followers, he said, we're the salt of the earth. We are meant to be a preserving element. We can't stop evil, but we can slow evil down by our presence and by our conduct. We also bring a little bit of taste to life where taste is lacking. Jesus also said of his followers that we're the light of the world. We open people's eyes to the truth about God, the truth about life, if we are opening our mouths and living our lives consistently. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we've already read, we're ambassadors of Christ. We represent Jesus. That's how God sees you if you are reconciled to him. That's who he says you are. You're his ambassador. Finally, 2 Corinthians 5.13, rather, it says we are living letters. We, we are letters, epistles that people can read, but we're alive. We can, we can they can meet God, in other words, in us. Now, now, this list that I put together, I could have went on and on. There's many more descriptions in the New Testament about how God sees us now. But I'm, I'm quite sure that we usually don't, from day to day, minute to minute, hour to hour, see ourselves very easily that way. Now, I'm going to come back to this a little bit later on in the message. But that's how, if you're reconciled to God, God sees you right now, no matter what state you might be in today as you sit here. So that's question number one. Am I spiritually alienated or reconciled to God? Question number two, if you really want to know who you are, if I really want to know who I am, am I spiritually declining or developing? What do you mean spiritually declining? I mean my soul, my spirit, my inner self. Is it declining? Is it becoming more, this is going to offend some of you, but I'm just going to say it because it's true from God's word. Or am I becoming, truth be told, more like an animal or more like a being made in the image of God? What do you mean more like an animal, Randy? Well, you know, animals, they, they just kind of live by instinct. They just kind of live to gratify their physical desires, their emotional desires. We as human beings can be in decline. In fact, let me go further. We are either developing as human beings spiritually or we are declining. It's kind of like an airplane. An airplane can't stop like a car. An airplane has to keep going forward. There's no backing up and there's no stopping. We are either declining spiritually, our character I'm talking about. I'm talking about the real us. I'm not talking about what you say you believe. I'm talking about what you are, what you feel, what you think. We are either declining or developing. John 15, Jesus said this. Last night he was with his disciples. Jesus said to them, he, and he was trying to prepare them that he was going to leave. He had been with them physically for three and a half years, and now he wanted them to understand. They needed to keep the continuous union with him that they had had for three and a half years, but now it was going to have to be without him physically present. And so he says to them, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who stay, what does it say? united with me, united with Christ. How do we do that today? Because we can't see him and talk to him. How can I stay united with Christ? I've got to stay in his word. 
I've got to take what he says to me from his word and internalize it and then live it out in my life. I need to think about the fact that he's with me all the time. We need to learn initially to practice the presence of God. God's always present. It's just that we don't, we don't understand it. We don't think about it. We're not aware of it. Once you practice the presence of God for a time, it will get where you know he's present all the time. I, I mean, for many, many years now, I, I know God is present always. I, I literally couldn't force the realization of his presence in me as well as with me any time. But initially, we need to practice, remind ourselves he's with me. If you're a Christian, he's in you. So those who stay united with me and I with them are the ones who bear much fruit, meaning I develop. I become who God meant me to become. I do what he meant me to do. Because apart from me, you can't what? Can't do a thing. The, The branch has to stay connected to the vine. You and I were made by Christ, for Christ, and unless we stay connected with him through prayer, through thought, through letting his word get into us and us getting into his word, all these things. This is the only way, the singular only way that you and I will actually develop. And when I say develop spiritually, I mean we are actually becoming more like Christ from the inside out. I am actually feeling differently the way Jesus feels about things. I am seeing things the way Jesus sees them. I am responding the way Jesus does. This is a a real developmental process, but it is a process. For any of you that weren't here for the first message, the, the critical part of this process is I have to be willing to rid myself of my old self and put on my new self. If you didn't get that message, l- listen to it online and it'll make more sense to you. Here's decline. Psalm 49, 12 says, no one, regardless of how rich or important, can live how long? I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you have. You're not going to live forever. You're gonna, your life's going to be surprisingly short, even if you live to be 100. No one, regardless of how rich or poor, can live forever. He is just like the animals that perish and decay. This is the destiny of those foolish souls who have faith only in who? Themselves. They're alienated from God. They're they're not living their life trusting in Christ supremely. They're trusting in themselves supremely. I'm going to do it my way. I'm I'm going to do what I feel like doing when I feel like doing it. It goes on to say... This will be the end of those who are happy to follow their ways. They're they're in decline. They're becoming more like an animal. They're not becoming more like sons and daughters of God. They are becoming, spiritually speaking, more hideous as life goes on, more ugly as human beings. They are not becoming more attractive. Listen, physiologically, we've got limits, right? We got limits what we can do with the outside. And the older we get, the harder it is, right? Let's be honest about this, okay? But spiritually, inwardly, we have a God-given capacity to grow more beautiful, more attractive until our last breath in life. We are either in decline or development. Here's another picture of decline. It says in Romans 3, it says, but... Oh, I'm sorry, this is the end of that, that psalm. I, I, I apologize. But God will reach into the grave and save my life from its power. He will fetch me and take me into his eternal house. It's a reminder that those that are reconciled to God, God will raise us back up from the grave itself. Let me go on to Romans 3 now. It says, 
those that are in decline it's describing, they leave ruin and destruction wherever they go. I'm not going to ask you, but I know some of you know people that everywhere they go, they leave problems, they leave ruin, they leave misery. And the truth be told, truth be told, some of us in here can remember times in our life, maybe present, when that's true of us too. We leave behind wreckage. That's manifestation of somebody that's alienated from God in a state of spiritual decline. They leave ruin and destruction wherever they go. They have not known the path of peace. They don't, they don't know what it is to have peace inside, nor have they learned reverence for God. This is manifestation of people that are in spiritual decline. Finally, if you look at this, this, this is a picture of person that's in a developmental stage, spiritually speaking. It says this in Ephesians. It says, our goal... This is those that have been reconciled to God. Our goal is to become a full-grown man or a full, mature human being. And what does a full-grown or mature human being look like? To look just like, what does it say? Just like Christ. And have all his perfection. It goes on to say in the 15th verse, we will grow, we will develop, we will grow to be like what? Christ in what else? Every way. That's real transformation, folks. That's normal Christianity. That's normal human development. That's the purpose of our existence, to be reconciled to God and then to develop, to take on his likeness because we were always meant to wear his likeness. So here's these two questions. Am I spiritually alienated from God or reconciled? You must answer that one to know who you really are. Secondly, Am I spiritually declining because I'm alienated from God? Or is the evidence there that I am spiritually developing, becoming more like the Christ-like person I was always meant to be? Now, I notice some of us, you feel like, man, Randy, I, I, I feel like I, I'm sure I've trusted Christ. I know I have. I know I'm his follower, but, but I just don't really see the kind of progress that I want to see, and it makes me uncomfortable. Well, I want you to think about something. I'm going to show you a couple pictures real quick as we close out. I just want you to guess, if you, the wildest guess, what do you think that first, these are animals, baby animals, newborn animals, the one uh, with the circle around it. Anybody want to give a gander what do you think it might be? Okay, okay. How about the other two? Okay. Now let me show you what they actually were. Somebody said kangaroo. I don't, somebody's brilliant. Um, the first one that looked like a shrimp, um, I had no idea that kangaroos were that small and ugly when they were born, and, and likewise with pandas. My point is this. They were in a stage of development where, let's be honest, they weren't that attractive. <laughs> and even though you may be reconciled to God, you've put your trust in Christ. You are his follower, and you want to be like him. You and I may still be in one of those awkward developmental stages, and it can be discouraging at times. Let me close with this verse. 1 John 3, 2, it says, My loved ones, we have been adopted into God's family. When you put your trust in Christ, you're adopted into God's family. We have been adopted into God's family, and we are officially his what? His children. Right now, that's who we are if we put our trust in Christ. The full picture of our destiny is not yet clear, but we know this much. When Jesus appears, we will be what? 
like him. We'll be like him because we will see him just as he is. I might be in that early, ugly, developmental stage, but I'm not going to be that way forever. I'm going to be one day, and you're going to be one day, somebody so beautiful that were we to see you now, the way you will look then, we would fall on our faces in reverent fear because you will be such an extraordinarily beautiful, beautiful person. That's your destiny. That's your divine destiny. Now, in closing, I want you to think about something. Would it perhaps be beneficial for some of us if we were to take something like this little bookmark that I developed and we just read the way that God sees us because it's hard for us to feel about ourselves the way God sees us. What if we were to read this every day for a month straight or two months straight or just keep it stuck in our Bible and pull it out periodically and remind ourselves, this is who God says I am. And we're going to sing that song. I am who he says I am. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel. I am who he says I am. I'm not who people say I am. I'm not even who I think I am. But I am who God says I am. So if you're reconciled to God, that might be something that the Spirit of God is nudging you to do so you can live in light of who you really are. And maybe today you've been made aware that, that you were alienated. You walked in here alienated from God. You don't have to leave here alienated from God. You can do what I did at age 23. You can do it today. You can put your trust in Christ and become his follower. And you can go from a state of decline spiritually to a state of lifelong, beautiful development spiritually. I hope you'll listen to whatever the Spirit of God is prompting you to take serious today. Let's pray. Father, help us each to hear and to respond submissively to the pleadings of your spirit. I ask it in Christ's name, amen.